Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, two weeks and a day or two. We have uh, this business week, next week, and then the following Tuesday is election day. We really need to start characterizing the following week or two as election week, given such a large percentage of the vote is happening by mail this year. Most states have laws that allow them to start counting the ballots that come in by mail before the official election day. But there are a few states where Republicans have succeeded historically or recently in passing laws or rules that say you can't even open those ballots until election day, which means that it's going to take, you know, days, maybe even weeks to count all the ballots. This, of course, is part of their plan. But COVID infections now represent the third leading cause of death in America. This is a very contagious, very crippling, very deadly disease. And on top of that, there's a growing legion of people who call themselves long haulers. These are people who are suffering, you know, basically the symptoms never went away. One of them said, every afternoon at four o'clock, I get hit by a truck again. Literally couldn't get out of bed for weeks and now can barely get out of bed. Screaming nerve pain, difficulty breathing, chronic fatigue. And that doesn't count the COVID survivors who have now permanent lung damage, heart damage, brain damage, kidney damage, have had strokes, have had heart attacks. These are the the most common side effect of COVID is not death. Yeah, that happens around 3% of the time. But the most common side effect are those things that I just described, heart attacks, strokes, and things like that. Very often people do die from them. You know, the latest estimate is that there's probably about 60 or 70,000 deaths in the United States in the last eight months that were not listed as COVID deaths because when the EMT showed up, the person was dead and they said, well, what are the symptoms? And well, you know, the left side of his body froze up and then he couldn't move and then he couldn't talk. And then, you know, an hour later he died. Or, you know, he grabbed his chest and was having all this pain and fell to the floor and died. Well, it turns out the stroke and the heart attack were actually caused by COVID. So facing this simple reality, every developed country in the world is encouraging social distancing and the use of masks to reduce the number of people who are injured, disabled, or killed by this disease. Every country, of course, except the United States of America. And now we've got this coronavirus. It is exploding through the American Midwest. And it's increasingly looking like the thing that spread it across the Midwest was that South Dakota biker convention where a half million bikers showed up in one small town in South Dakota. And the governor came out and said, hey, we don't need masks. I think Christy Nome is her name. No, we don't need masks. It's all good. Don't worry. And all the restaurants opened and everybody. And after all the bikers left, you know, the, the town came down with COVID. And those bikers have COVID. And they carried it half a million people all over the country. This would have been illegal in pretty much any other state. In fact, the bikers... And the Trump rallies are the only, quote, legal, large, maskless events that are going on in the United States. And Trump is like spreading this virus from coast to coast 
because he wants his ego massaged. He loves those rallies. This is his last chance to have rallies. He loves it when people tell him how much they love him. All those people yelling and screaming. It's what he's dreamed about his whole entire life. And, you know, in some bizarre way, he thinks it's going to help him win the election, too. You know, there are psychologists. In fact, uh, Dr. Justin Frank, a professor of psychiatry, he's a psychiatrist at Georgetown University, on this program have speculated that Trump might actually be intentionally exposing his followers to this deadly virus because deep down inside, he actually hates anybody who trusts him. There was a time in his life, probably when he was five, six, seven years old, according to his niece, Mary, and to Dr. Frank, there was a time in his life when, as a young child, he was very trusting. And then he discovered that he couldn't trust the people around him. He couldn't trust his father. He couldn't trust his mother. couldn't trust his siblings. He lived in a predatory family, a family where the patriarch, his father, Fred Trump, was a, a high-functioning sociopath. And so now anybody who trusts him, he immediately assumes at some real deep unconscious level, must be up to something. And so, you know, hey, infect them. This is how he treated all three of his wives, having affairs on all of them and, and you know, betraying repeatedly. I mean, we know of, you know, at least, what, 10 or 15 just on Melania, just in the, in the couple of years after she gave birth to their son. And what did Melania say? Well, I know who I married. I married him for the money. It's pretty clear, right? But the point is that this is how Donald Trump behaves. He's got several thousand people who've sued him for breaking business contracts. Contracts are supposed to be your word written down so everybody is clear. Donald Trump's word doesn't mean anything. So maybe it's this like deep psychology thing that that's the reason why he's trying to, you know, the the, the Trump death train, the the Trump death tour why he's insisting on running this the way he is running it and discouraging people from wearing masks so they will get sick. You know, maybe it's that deep psychology or maybe it's just that he's lazy. He wants to spend all his time, as he has for the first three and a half years of his presidency, three and three quarters years now, he wants to spend all his time watching Fox News and playing golf and doesn't want to attend to the actual hard work of governing. And so, you know, Scott Atlas, the radiologist from Fox News who knows nothing about infectious diseases, comes along and says, well, just to go for herd immunity. Yeah, that worked really well with smallpox, didn't it? No, it didn't. How about measles? No, it didn't. How about polio? No, it didn't. In fact, no infectious disease in the history of humanity has ever been dealt with with herd immunity. Herd immunity is a phrase that the vaccine industry came up with decades ago to describe the threshold you have to hit a vaccination before you no longer have to worry about a disease being active. And for measles, for example, it's 94%. If your vaccination rate with measles goes below 94%, you you start having outbreaks. So God only knows what the herd immunity level is for COVID, particularly since people are getting it a second time. But... Here we go. And now you've got some political cynics saying that here's a third reason why Trump is trying to spread this virus as far and wide as he can. To hand Joe Biden a screaming, flaming disaster. It's like, you know, the old cliche of the teenagers who fill a bag with dog poop, set it on your front step and then light the bag on fire. I mean, that's that that's what Donald Trump is trying to give to Joe Biden when he comes into office. In fact, he went out of his way yesterday to say, you know, if Biden gets elected, he's going to listen to the scientists. Oh, my God. I mean, that's his indictment of Joe Biden. He's going to listen to the scientists. But more Americans have died from this disease than have died in all our wars since World War II combined. And under, you know, in any normal circumstances, that would disqualify any normal politician. Inciting people to kill others? That could even land most Americans in prison. So how do we deal with this after the election? Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Do we go to uh, what, you know, the, the uh, like the church committee or the Pike committee in the House of Representatives, like we did after the Nixon administration? How do we deal with this? Your thoughts after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Because we have to deal with this. We cannot afford to allow this to happen again. 
So we need to be thinking right now about how to Trump-proof the presidency in the future. I mean, Donald Trump is causing all kinds of chaos and disasters, and things are, frankly, I think, going to get much worse before they get better. And I don't think they're going to get better until after January 21st or noon on January 20th. And that's assuming that absolute craziness doesn't happen. But there's a bunch of steps that we need to take from recalibrating or fixing how we do our elections to fixing how we handle money in politics to fixing the pardon power of the presidency to specifically saying that if a president is found to be a criminal, he or she can still be held to account. I mean, just straightforward stuff. And we need to be getting ready to do this. I lay it all out in a new video that you can find over at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Let me, let me just dig a little bit deeper into this before I pick up your phone calls. In the Richard Nixon administration, Nixon got off because he was pardoned by Jerry Ford. I frankly do not see Joe Biden pardoning Donald Trump. I think it's entirely possible that in the last, you know, if Trump loses the election, that in the last couple of weeks before he leaves office, he will resign and Mike Pence will pardon him. I think that's entirely possible. And maybe Pence will pardon all the people in his administration who have been engaging in what I would say are crimes against democracy at the very least. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that, you know, how that shakes out. But 22 members of the Nixon administration were convicted of crimes after Watergate. 22 of them. Most of them went to prison, including his chief of staff, who right now is Mark Meadows. This is Nixon's chief of staff. It was Haldeman. And his attorney general. Back then it was George Mitchell. And now you got Bill Barr. Those are the, you know, among the folks who went to prison. Prison. And then the Senate convened a committee that uh, Senator Frank Church, uh, who I, if I'm remembering correctly, was a Republican from Idaho. I may be wrong on that. But in any case, Senator Frank Church... Uh, chaired the committee in the Senate, and Congressman Pike chaired the committee in the House, and they looked into what was going on and issued some rather startling reports and recommendations for legislation that could prevent this kind of stuff from happening again, which Congress largely followed. And then the Supreme Court struck down in 1976 once Lewis Powell got on the court with lots of big money and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so here we are. So what do we do? Eric Swalwell, the congressman from California, who was on the uh, Judiciary Committee, who argued for impeachment, uh, he says we need a presidential crimes commission. Others are calling for a truth and reconciliation commission. Uh, Jill Laporta, Washington Post columnist, wrote a piece about this, calling for this. The Washington Post, by the way, is reporting that Deborah Burks has begged Trump to fire Scott Atlas. The quack doctor from Fox News who is now in charge of the coronavirus response at the federal level. You know, he's holding meetings where he doesn't even invite Fauci and Burks. He sits at the head of the table. He's running things. Again, this guy is a radiologist. He has no experience in infectious diseases. He has never worked in public health in his whole entire life. He's taken charge of this. And Trump has put him there because he's advocating this herd immunity theory that allows Trump to do absolutely nothing but play golf, watch TV and do rallies. And I think that that's the, probably 90% of the reason why Trump finds this so appealing. In fact, Dr. Atlas, I, I hesitate to call him doctor, quack Dr. Atlas and Donald Trump, the White House, are sitting on $9 billion. Big conversation right now about, you know, Nancy Pelosi just gave, just set a deadline for the White House and McConnell in the Senate to agree on a package. McConnell is saying, no, 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 no. We're Republicans. No money for people. No money for states. No money for cities and municipalities. No money for police and fire. No, 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 no. We do want protection from liability for big employers, and we want more money for the big companies. And we want more tax breaks for billionaires. You realize there was a five trillion dollar tax break in the CARES Act? It's breathtaking. It was even bigger than the original Trump tax break. 
But anyhow, they're sitting on $9 billion. The White House is sitting on $9 billion specifically earmarked by Congress for expanding testing and refusing to let it out. It has been 156 days since the House of Representatives passed the HEROES Act. A $3 trillion bill that would have given money to the states, that would have given everybody in the country 600 bucks a week. It has been 156 days, a half a year, since the House of Representatives passed this law and Mitch McConnell refuses to even have a conversation about it in the Senate. It's been 18 days, 19 days now, since the House passed a compromised $2.2 trillion bill, which McConnell is also refusing to take up. And by the way, in the, this last negotiation, the, the White House removed 55% of the hero's language for testing, tracing, and treatment. Right. And then uh, when we come back from the break, two quick things, and then I'll pick up all your phone calls. But uh, number one, uh, this uh, Hunter Biden laptop. It's an amazing story. And number two, what's up with text messages? This is fascinating. The, the New York Times had it, the Washington Post had it, but neither of them put two and two together. I will do that here on this program and inform you about this, and then we'll pick up your calls. What do we do to prevent this kind of criminality from ever happening again? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. It's the place where we dare to ask, is Walmart a person? And dare to say, no, no, not a chance. Forget it. On the science revolution this week, there is more news from the Republican death cult. We need to start calling things what they are. The Republican Party is a death cult. Ryan Felton drops by on why dangerous forever chemicals are still allowed in America's drinking water. Professor Richard Wolff will be talking about how and why capitalism failed to protect us from COVID-19. And in geeky science, Trump makes the case for Medicare for all. Tune in for the science revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Let me just share two stories with you very quickly. One from the New York Times, the other from the Washington Post. This is the New York Times. In mid-September, parents of students at Corner Canyon High School in an affluent suburb of Salt Lake City received a text message urging them to beg the school board to keep classrooms open. Three weeks into the school year, the number of coronaviruses at the Corner Canyon was rising and the district was considering shifting to online instruction. After parents flooded the board with messages this being the result of these text messages that they all received, the school stayed open. And within a week, the number of cases had nearly quadrupled, and a teacher was hospitalized and put on a ventilator. So that's the Washington Post. Here's the New York Times. On a Friday in mid-September, Sunny Washington, this is the name of a mother in, in Salt Lake City, Sunny Washington got a text from another mother at her daughter's high school in an affluent suburb of Salt Lake City. Three weeks into the school year, the number of coronavirus cases at the school was rising and the district was considering shifting to online instruction. The text urged parents to beg the school board to keep classrooms open. Ms. Washington ignored the text. She thought the school should be taking advice from public health experts, not parents. But other parents flooded the school board with messages and the school stayed open. Within a week, the number of cases had nearly quadrupled. So two different stories, two different newspapers. And what's so interesting is that These stories, these were from Friday, as I recall, from the Friday newspapers. And on the 17th, which was Saturday, I got this email from Adam Brandon of FreedomWorks. FreedomWorks, of course, the group that the Koch brothers helped bring into existence years ago that led the whole Tea Party movement that created these astroturf tea parties, you know, rented buses, moved people around, you know, get your government hands off my Medicare, all that kind of stuff you know, to stop Obamacare. Dear Barney Rubble, there's so much going on right now with everything on the line for freedom's future. Between the final stretch before November 3rd and the Supreme Court confirmation, we're knee deep in things to do. Today, I wanted to be sure that I filled you in on some of the recent grassroots impact and trainings your support makes possible. Grassroots texting army. Remember, I just shared two stories of two cities where Parents received text messages saying, don't let the school board go to remote learning. Keep the schools open. 
Back to FreedomWorks. FreedomWorks staff conducted five more online trainings this week, preparing activists for our powerful peer-to-peer texting mobilization platform. After a total of nearly 60 of these trainings, our grassroots texting army is shaping up to have a huge impact. In fact, our activists sent more than one million text messages in just four days. Again, this is FreedomWorks. This is the the originally Koch-funded, founded, whatever, uh, organization that brought us the Tea Party. They're at it again. Back to the email. Peer-to-peer texting gives us the ability to mobilize hundreds of thousands of freedom-loving Americans at a moment's notice, literally at the push of a button. So they no longer have to rent buses for Tea Partiers. Now they just send out text messages. I find that extremely mind-boggling and uh, you know another one of these stories that is being completely missed by the media because they're not on FreedomWorks mailing list and so they're like gee these text messages seem to be coming out of nowhere no, not coming out of nowhere and then finally there's the Hunter, Hunter Biden laptop story and then I'm gonna pick up your calls let me just share this with you this has been going around I've seen it on Facebook uh, you know somebody emailed it to me but I, I've seen it probably a dozen times in the last weeks and it's a pretty good summary actually Here's, this is the Hunter Biden story. And just tell me if this makes sense, right? This is, this is what Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani are trying to sell to us right now. Hunter Biden, who lives in Los Angeles, decides to fly 3,000 miles across the country to drop off three MacBook Pros at a repair shop run by a blind guy who charges the insanely low price of $85. He gets off the plane and drunk drives to the repair shop because there are no computer repair shops in Los Angeles. He drops them off, signs a contract for the repair, and then disappears. The repair shop owner is actually blind. He's uh, actually legally blind. He can see shapes, but you know can't read. So the blind repair shop owner somehow reads Hunter's private emails, a few of which mention a possible meeting with his dad, and is so alarmed he contacts the FBI. The FBI arranges to pick up the hard drives, but the computer owner the computer repair shop owner takes the uh, totally normal step of copying those hard drives. And once he realizes that the FBI isn't going to do anything about it, he calls up the most credible ex-mayor on earth, Rudy Giuliani, and says, hey, here's the contents of these hard drives. That totally credible ex-mayor sits on these hard drives for three months, then chooses to release them three weeks before the election. The mainstream media says, hey, mayor, can you independently verify these? And Giuliani says, what? what are you kidding? The Dell News Journal did an interview with this owner, the, the, the blind guy who owns their computer repair shop on the East Coast, that Hunter Biden apparently flew all the way to the East Coast just to drop off his laptops to get them repaired and then flew back to Los Angeles to wait. And this guy says that uh, the FBI called him and asked him for help hacking the laptop. So the FBI needs the help from a blind mom and pop repair shop owner to hack a lot. Seriously? This is what these people believe? Actually, I guess if they believe that Democrats are, you know, drinking the blood of children as some sort of fountain of eternal youth, they'll believe anything. And this is how bizarre it is. And it's being amplified by things like the Des Moines Sun, the Ann Arbor Times, Empire State Today. Sounds like newspapers, right? They are three of 1,300 phony newspaper websites that are all propagating Republican lies and disinformation, according to a new investigative report from the New York Times. Brian Tipone, a Texas brand management consultant and conservative Chicago radio personality, apparently owns a whole lot of these. And they offer an advertising package for $2,000, You can get five articles on one of these so-called local newspapers and unlimited news releases. Isn't that sweet? Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Oh, good. My husband was checking online where coronavirus hotspots were. He does that. And we looked at Pennsylvania. Our daughters live there. And the hotspot was in the middle of the state, Huntington County. So I said... I bet Trump held a rally there. He said, oh, no, you think so negative. So I went online, and Trump's Huntington County rally for the police, it was a police rally, had thousands of people crowded together, as usual, and I showed him. And everywhere the evil thing holds his rallies are where the deaths are high. 
And should these rallies just wow. be called death rallies? It was all lit up red. Yeah. I'm going to start calling them that, death rallies or the death train or something. I mean, we need to come up with a name for this, but this is what's going on. Donald Trump is inviting people to come and die. Come yeah. and get exposed to a deadly virus. If it doesn't give you a stroke or a heart attack or leave you permanently crippled or disabled, it might kill you. And maybe nothing will happen. You know, half the people who get it have no symptoms. The other half have big problems. But uh, hey, come on by. Yeah, death rallies. <laughs> I like it. So, um, Jessica, thank you. Did you look at any other cities or any other areas, or was that just in Pennsylvania? Well, I have something very important. Are you just starting? Well, my friend's niece had a miscarriage, lives in Georgia. Both of them had COVID. She was pregnant, right. and she did not stop throwing up. The baby was only four months, and she oh. couldn't stop throwing up up and had a miscarriage. So these pregnant women that have COVID, this, I mean, your program is the only one that tells what's going on in the news. I don't understand why prime time is just focused on what they want to be and they don't really tell news that's important. They, I, I think they are so tired or afraid of Trump attacking them for telling the truth. And, I mean, Trump had this uh, meeting with his uh, campaign team yesterday. It's, it's over at the top of rawstory.com right now, where he was calling Fauci an idiot and saying he wants to get out and do more of these. I mean, this is just absolutely nuts, but this is what's going on. And, and when we look at what we did after the Nixon uh, scandals, I think that we need to consider something like that, or a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, or federal prosecutors. But, you know, we've got to hold these guys to account. I'm not sure the best way to do it. But, you know, they have been engaging in behavior that is causing death and destruction and miscarriages and disabilities and, frankly, terror across America. Jessica, thank you for that. Thank you for that. That's a fascinating look into what's going on. Hopefully, some of our major newspapers, the L.A. Times, the New York Times, the, the Washington Post, will be looking into these kinds of stories because, you know, this is, this is just evil stuff. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. 
funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, it's getting even weirder at the top of the New York Times. Trump's taxes show he engineered a sudden windfall in 2016. More than $21 million in highly unusual payments from the Las Vegas hotel he owns with Phil Ruffin. The records show how the cash flowed in the chain of transactions to Trump-controlled companies and then directly to Trump himself. I think that the media has certainly figured this out. And Donald Trump's even, I think some of his supporters are figuring out that this guy is a professional grifter. That's what he is. He's, he's been a grifter his whole entire life. His dad was a grifter. His kids are grifters. Referred to them as the Trump crime family. The Trump grift family is not, a, it's not so much a thing, but I think crime family works. Anyway, I, but you know, to discuss the interesting spectacle that we saw it was like Mr. Rogers versus a rabid squirrel, right? Savannah Guthrie really, I thought, did a pretty spectacular job, you know, with uh, keeping Donald Trump under control. The right wing doesn't think so. I mean, here, this is uh, from the writing newsletter, which is, you know, monitoring hardcore right wing stuff here in the United States. The headline over on PJ Media, Savannah Guthrie is a good pet for her DNC masters. I mean, this is this is the kind of misogyny. Frankly, Trump, you know, he's at one point she kind of got him and he said, oh, so cute. Right. So here it is. Trump was subjected to a barrage of ridiculousness from a partisan shrieking harridan. Is a word I've never heard pronounced. I've, I've read it. I think it means, you know, a, an out-of-control woman or something like that, H-A-R-R-I-D-A-N, in the form of Guthrie, using a rapid-fire, aggressive cadence that sounded more like a woman who is mad at her boyfriend than a journalist. Guthrie behaved like one would expect from somebody from NBC News to behave toward a Republican. This is how the, uh, the right-wing media is spinning this. I will say she actually did push back when Donald Trump you know, was just nakedly lying to us all. And, you know, I think it's a good thing that she did that. And there, you know, there was, there were some actual issues. Louise and I were bouncing back and forth between Trump and Biden. And one of the things that we got was that, you know, Biden was nice and thoughtful and did deep dives on policy and kind of boring. And Biden's numbers outdid Trump's numbers, both on YouTube and on the actual networks themselves. And I was expecting, I had done an interview earlier in the day uh, with Michael Harrison from Talkers Magazine for his podcast. And, you know, he was like, you know, what do you expect will happen tonight? Who's going to watch what? And I was like, well, I think probably, you know, Trump will get more viewers than Biden because, you know, we slow down for fistfights and car wrecks, you know. People just love disasters. And the news seems to be driven by disasters increasingly these days. And so, so anyhow, that's what I was expecting. But it turns out more people actually want to hear what Joe Biden has to say. In fact, he went on for an extra half hour. I thought that was great. Over on the Trump side, Savannah Guthrie tried to pin him down on his $450 million debt that the New York Times exposed a couple of weeks ago. You know, we pretty much know, I mean, uh, Erdogan came out at one point a year or two ago and said that, you know, if Donald Trump didn't do what he wanted, he would withhold the right for Donald Trump to have a license on Trump properties in Turkey. Trump's got two hotels in Turkey and they generate between one and two million dollars a year for him. And so when Erdogan said to Trump, you must betray the Kurds, stab your allies in the back, walk away from them in northern Syria and just leave the Kurds to us because we hate the Kurds and we want to kill Kurds. And Trump said, OK, cool, do it. And sure enough, Turkey came in and just slaughtered Kurds. I, I don't know why this isn't like in the memory, in the recent memory of America. I mean, if Barack Obama had turned his back on an ally and thousands of people had died, it would be all over the place. But, you know, that's one small example of what happens 
when Donald Trump owes money to a foreign autocrat who's kind of running the show. He owes $450 million. Now, now actually, Forbes magazine has a piece saying, no, he doesn't owe $450 million. He owes over a billion. And they've got the receipts. So who owns Donald Trump? I think it's fairly obvious he's owned by a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these oligarchs and, you know, bad guys, for lack of a better word, who he's sucking up to. I mean, what was the first country he visited? It was, it was Saudi Arabia. He also pretty much admitted that he had lied to the debate commission and he went to the debate with Joe Biden without having been tested and his entire family, same deal, and they refused to wear masks which is an egregious lie. And he was, you know, this rabid squirrel thing, he was just going on and on and on like the music man. I mean, you know, Robert Preston, right? He's, he's a sales guy, pitcher, pitch guy. And I'm firmly of the opinion that the only reason that Donald Trump is continuing to embrace QAnon, I don't think it has to do with his hopes that they're gonna vote for him in the election. He knows they're gonna vote for him. It's because he wants to sell stuff to them, including a show, after he leaves the White House. He's a businessman. This is the Tom Hartman Program. He's trying to line up his his future customers. This guy's a used car salesman. So for our Tom Hartman Insider video that's available over at TomHartman.com, I'm talking about Donald Trump just completely giving in to Erdogan of Turkey, the president of Turkey, the dictator of Turkey now, and this theory that Jared Kushner okayed the killing, at least the capture, perhaps the killing of Jamal Khashoggi to Mohammed bin Salman, and that Erdogan has the tape of it, and that when he called up Donald Trump and said, I want you to pull out of Syria and give me those Kurds so I can kill them and take that land, that he did it because Erdogan threatened him. And then Erdogan comes to the United States a week or two later and gets a whole state dinner thing. Check it all out. It's over at TomHartman.com. I think you'll find it fascinating. Blaine in Thousand Oaks, California. Hey, Blaine, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, you're my hero. Um, On a lighter side note, that was more of a distraction. I had to laugh during the supposedly undecided voter town hall for Trump, watching the woman, obvious strategically placed in the same frame as Trump, who vigorously nodded her head at every word that came out of the president's mouth. Right. I mean, it was, right. A, it was a pretty. She's, a, she's apparently a uh, a Republican candidate for office who's a Trump humper. Yeah, well, it's a pretty pathetic attempt at subliminal influencing, but I couldn't help but wonder, you know, one, how much was she paid, and two, if she's wearing some kind of ice pack on her sore neck this morning. (laughs) (laughs) It was bizarre. That's all I got. The whole whole thing was bizarre. It was like, you know, dropping through the rabbit hole. It was amazing. Blaine, thank you. Uh, An excellent point. By the way, I said earlier, Donald Trump reminded me of a used car salesman. And over on Twitter, a used car salesman came on and said, wait a minute, I'm a used car salesman. That's an honorable profession. Sir, you are right. And I apologize. In fact, I apologized on Twitter. Donald Trump does not have even 1% of the ethical core of used car salesmen or women or any other category of salespeople. I said he was a salesman. I, I really think he's more of a pitch man. He's a con man. And that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to run his con on Savannah Guthrie, and she was not having it, which was kind of cool. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I'm doing a good chunk of this story from memory, so uh, double-check my facts here before you repeat it, but I'm pretty sure I got this right. Back in the day, Donald Trump raped, or is alleged to have raped E. Jean Carroll, the New York writer, in a dressing room in a, a high-end, you know, a Macy's Sachs kind of, kind of department store in, in New York City. I forget which one. And uh, she kept the dress with the stain on it. And, but she never said anything until just this last year. And the statute of limitations on that rape has expired. So she just came out and said, hey, here's the story. 
And Trump rebutted that by saying, you know, I didn't do it. I don't know her. I don't remember her. And and uh, even if I did, she's she's not my type. She's too ugly for me or, you know, the, the implication of that. Right. So not being able to sue him for rape, she sued him for slander, saying that his saying these things. And he also called her a liar that he was slandering her. So then Bill Barr jumps in and says, well, if you're going to sue Donald Trump, you've got to sue the entire federal government. And we're going to bring the resources, the multi-trillion dollar resources of the federal government against you, E. Jean Carroll, for having the temerity to sue, you know, our Lord and Savior and protector, Donald Trump. And so she just rebutted in court. And there's just one particular sentence from the rebuttal that is breathtaking. There is not a single person in the United States, her lawyers wrote, not the president and not anyone else whose job description, see, keep in mind, Bill Barr is saying he's defending Trump because Trump is involved in this lawsuit as part of his job as president. Okay, let me start over. There's not a single person in the United States, not the president, not anyone else, whose job description includes slandering women they sexually assaulted. You think? It's amazing. George in Garden City, Kansas. Hey, George, what's on your mind? Yeah, Tom, I just wanted to get your take. I saw something on CNN, MSNBC, where there was a diplomatic pact signed between the United Arab Emirates and Israel and one other country. But the part that was kind of scary to me was that part of that pact was that we sold stealth F-15 fighters to the United Arab Emirates and that other country as part of that peace pact or democracy pact or whatever they called it. And I just wanted to get your take on that. That just doesn't seem like that's to sell arms and to be arms dealers to make a democratic pact or democracy pact. That doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah, what's happening here, and there's been a couple of good op-eds written about this. I read one a couple of days ago in the Washington Post. Uh, what, ha- what is happening here is that three essentially right-wing governments in the Middle East are working with Donald Trump to try to get Donald Trump reelected. These countries have not been at war in any real or meaningful way anyway. They're taking largely symbolic actions. They're doing it mostly to prop up Donald Trump. And I think in the case of the UAE, and it's the same thing with Saudi Arabia. You know, Trump sold the Saudis, I believe it was $8 billion worth of weapons over the objections of Congress. You know, I, there was a specific law passed that you can't do this, and he did it anyway. I think it's just absolutely wrong. This is, this is a Hail Mary where Donald Trump has got a few foreign autocrats, you know, the people who bailed out Jared Kushner, the people who came up with the money for a, literally a billion dollars for Jared Kushner to, to not lose his building in, on 66 Fifth Avenue. I think it's wrong, and I, I think it's cynical, and I'm saddened by it, George. Steve in Gen- Genevieve, Missouri. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Uh, you know, I'm, I live in Missouri, and I literally watched crops being plowed under because of what our president did. The farmers, you know, getting screwed. But just the other day, the Missouri Farm Bureau is popping up uh, billboards all over the interstates endorsing Donald Trump. I don't get it. I don't the get uh, it. Farm Bureau, in all probability, is largely funded by a small handful of very large ag monopolies. And those very large ag monopolies are very happy with Donald Trump. He's, he's protecting their power. He's protecting their monopoly status. He's protecting their subsidies. He's kicking back, you know, the billion, literally billions of dollars that Donald Trump has both gotten through Congress and also acquired by executive order that is supposed to be passed out to farmers around the country. Most of that is going to about a dozen major corporations. It's not going to the small farmer on the ground. And so, I mean, I I so completely got this when when Louise and I were living in Vermont. uh, This was back in 1996. And the only way that I could get health insurance, since it was just, you know, it was just the two of us, and we didn't qualify for a group plan, and I didn't have an employer. I'd sold a business in, in Atlanta, and we'd moved to Vermont. Was We had a small business. It was the, my writing business, you know, writing books. So we had a little corporation. And it was to join the uh, Chamber of Commerce in the state of Vermont because they offered insurance plans, and which was the one good thing that they did. But I really got it that they were dancing to the tune to a large extent of the National Chamber, and the National Chamber dances to the tune of the Business Roundtable, the, the 200 largest corporations in America, period, full stop. 
So I don't have personal knowledge of how it works in farming, but I would be astonished if it was any different, Steve. Yeah, it really does. Now, the, the really big question is, what if he does win and he puts all of his crones up there, more crones than what he has? When do the American people, yes, when do the American people, I don't know, say, hey, we're, we're not going to take this anymore because it looks like violence. This man wants to create violence in our country. And yeah. if he yeah. is to remain in power just because he's president and he knows that he can get away with everything, I guarantee you he's going to spread that uh, violence all over and not just oh, absolutely. in the United States. Absolutely. Google my name and Viktor Orban, you know, the, the dictator now of Hungary. Hungary was a democratic republic when Orban was elected. And eight months to the day before the Charlottesville rally the, with the very fine people, you know, the Nazis saying Jews will not replace us. Eight months to the day before that, there was a similar rally in, in Budapest, in Hungary, where Orban's thugs marched up to a gypsy uh, community, uh, what they call the Roma now, with torches and said, we will burn your houses. We will burn you out. And they didn't do it, but they, you know, they threatened them and scared the hell out of them. These are the weapons of, these are the tools that autocratic wannabe dictators use. Orban now is a full dictator and Donald Trump wants to be. And yeah, America needs to wake the hell up. Charles in Shorewood, Illinois. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, I'm uh, curious. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but why has this grifter family from New York and their followers not been compared to the carpetbaggers after the Civil War. Well, first of all, for people who don't know what we're talking about, Charles, the carpetbaggers were northern, mostly wannabe small businessmen, hucksters, hustlers, con men who went south as the south was shattered in the, in the wake of the Civil War. There were, you know, homesteads that were completely abandoned because they had been, you know, people had been killed in the war. Some of the plantations were being broken up. Others were being turned into prisons. There was opportunity, as it were. It was kind of a gold rush on a very small scale. And the people in the South very much did not appreciate these people. They were called carpetbaggers because very often the, uh, the luggage that they used was basically, uh, you know, sewn together carpets that were turned into bags, into suitcases. Are you saying by Trump moving his residence to Florida, to Mar-a-Lago? Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm just saying Trump and his tribe are turning the southern states into his working positions. Well, that's just the logical extension of Nixon's southern strategy. And the southern states are just following all the words of Trump, even though Trump is taking advantage of everything he can. Yeah, I, you know, I think the biggest problem that we have in this country right now in that regard, you know, with regard to political polarization and people believing things that just aren't so and buying into bizarre conspiracies and whatnot, Josh Hawley on Tucker Carlson talking about how the Democrats are attacking Amy Coney Barrett because she's a Catholic when not one single Democrat has uttered one peep about such a thing. Frankly, I think they should be raising people of praise, but they haven't. You know, it is Fox News. You know, you've got a network that's owned by a cranky right-wing Australian, formerly Australian billionaire who was formerly married to a Chinese spy, if the news reports are accurate. And he's selling such blatant propaganda that one of his own two sons distanced himself from the organization because he thought it was doing damage to their home country, Australia, and to the United States. I mean, this, this is a serious problem. Now, a media problem in the United States where you've got a major television network blowing out what are clearly documented lies on a regular basis. Zach in North Hollywood. Hey, Zach, what's up? Was it LBJ that said the essence of democracy is to provide the most good for the most people? Didn't he say that at the end of his term, towards the end of his term? I remember that. Know. The most good for the most people. The essence yeah, I, of democracy. I'm sorry I don't, Zach, but I'll take your word for it. All right. The white Europeans came by everything they've gained by killing, conquering, subjugating, and extracting. Profit and growth being the only metric, the only motivation, the only model. Now we have a new motivation, saving ourselves from the worn-out old growth model 
and the you know carbon crisis. So my question is right. like there's a big disconnect between our science and our civility. Crime is fast. Justice moves so slow as to be almost non-existent. We've walked on the moon, Tom, but we don't know how to enforce our laws. We're a nation of laws, but every oligarch in the world knows that we don't enforce our laws. How do we figure out how to put white-collar criminals behind bars instead of pardoning them? Yeah. Yeah, it would be a good start, Zach. Uh, you know, the so-called criminal justice reform, there, there is, uh, and, and in fact, what it did, and this is why Charles Koch was a big supporter of it, was it made it much actually harder to put white-collar criminals in jail, the so-called yeah. uh, criminal justice reform. It's, it was just mind-boggling uh, with the whole rents maya thing. Uh, Zach, thank you for the call. I, d I don't have an easy answer. I think that what we need is a political revolution. Bernie's phrase, that's what we need. And I think it's going to happen. I really do. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. This is toward the very end, and it's a chapter titled Transforming Culture Through Politics. Many think it's just to fund tax cuts and subsidies for the rich, that the multimillionaire CEOs who've taken over almost all senior posts in government are just pigs at the trough. And this is a spectacular but ordinary form of self-serving corruption. It all seems so plausible, and there's even a grain of truth to it. But juicy deals for right-wing government insiders and their friends are just a byproduct of the real and deeper war against democracy. The neoconservatives are perfectly happy for us to think that they're just opportunists skirting the edges of legality and morality. But this is far more dangerous than simple government corruption. Although James Madison wrote in 1792 that an important role of government was to promote a strong middle class, quote, by the silent operation of the laws, which, without violating the rights of property, reduce extreme wealth toward a state of mediocrity and raise extreme indigence toward a state of comfort, end of quote from James Madison. That was not a sentiment shared by those in the Reagan-Bush revolution. Instead, Reagan raised taxes on the middle class and working people while cutting taxes by more than 60% for the most wealthy in America. At the same time, he bragged that he'd eliminated more than 1,000 programs for poor people and even proposed that poor school children should be content with ketchup as their daily vegetable. At the same time, the Reagan-Bush administration and later the George W. Bush administration worked hard to roll back the very individual liberties that America's founders had fought and died for. Dwight Eisenhower left office warning Americans about the dangers of the concentration of power resulting from corporations getting into bed with the military. But the Reagan-Bush and W. Bush administrations openly embraced these corporate powers, inviting them into the halls of governance and hungrily sucking at the teat of their campaign contributions. In the past, those promoting what is now called the new conservative agenda went by different names. The founders of America knew that for 6,000 years, civilized human beings had been ruled by one of three groups, kings, theocrats, or feudal lords. Kings held power by virtue of the threat of violence and continual warfare. Theocrats and popes held power by the people's fear of a god or gods, and feudal lords by wealth and the power that comes from throwing average people into poverty. The new idea of our founders in 1776 was to throw off all three of these historic tyrannies and replace them with a fourth way, the people being ruled by themselves, a government that derived its legitimacy and continuing existence solely from the approval of its citizens. Government of, by, and for we the people. They called it a constitutional Republican democracy. What we are seeing now in the conservative agenda is nothing less than an attempt to overthrow Republican democracy and replace it with a worldwide feudal state. The last time this happened, the feudalists took over a monarchy in the North America. In December 1600, Queen Elizabeth I chartered the East India Company, ultimately leading to a corporate takeover of the Americas for the colonists that ended with the Boston Tea Party and three years later, the American Revolution. 
The corporate state partnership of the East India Company in the UK went on to then to conquer India, but eventually disintegrated as the British Empire faded and the British government, along with most of Western Europe, embraced somewhat more Jeffersonian forms of democracy. Conservatism raised its head again in the 20th century, revived by Franco, Hitler and Mussolini. The Italian dictator even used the word corporatism to describe it and then later renamed it as fascism, a word defined by the American Heritage Dictionary as, quote, a system of government that exercises a dictatorship of the extreme right, typically through the merging of state and business leadership together with belligerent nationalism. The book is The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Michelle in Denver. Hey, Michelle, what's up? Yeah, it's about money and power. Come on. The Republicans have always been this way. What pisses me off is people are just waking up to it. Um, If you follow politics, which everybody should do, you could see this is what they wanted to do. As far as white supremacy, the Black Klansman explains it. People need to watch that movie. David Duke wanted to get people in power who would suppress us, people of color. So the way that they did that was get normalized white men to buy into it and to push their agenda. So now you have corporate America entangled in this, and you're going to find out that that is what's happening here, is that the Republicans have been bought off by corporate America to push an agenda. And the only reason Trump is involved this heavily is because he needs protection right now. He needs protection from getting his taxes released because it's going to show foreign money. He needs protection because he's a corrupt criminal, and he has been all his life, and he needs to have the court back him up, and that's what he's got in Barr. Barr is helping him with all of this because the Republicans are in bed with the Russians, too, and that's probably going to be found out. I believe Mueller, the reason why he didn't say a lot of what's happening and didn't disclose it is because he handed those investigations off him and Comey. And I believe Obama probably knows a lot of this. Um, because when remember, when they first had the hearings on this through um, the Gang of Eight, did, remember how they all came out and looked uh, on the Democratic side, their faces drawn, they looked sad, mm-hmm. they looked sick. It's because they know this too, but unfortunately, it has to play out. Um, I believe we're going to win too because I believe all of this is going to come out. I believe through the investigations that Mueller handed off is how it's going to come out, because right now they're breaking that. They have enough to try to charge Trump with tax fraud. What we need to do from now on is never allow Republicans back in power. We need to pay attention to what's happening in our country. It needs to be a priority, and we need to force rules so that this can never happen again, because I don't understand how Trump could still be running for president under these circumstances. He is a corrupt criminal, him and his family. His entire family's involved in it. They're pocketing their own campaign funds. They're pocketing the money. That's why there's none left, because they've all had their hands in it, including his campaign officials. How are we allowing this as a country to move forward? Because our laws have so many holes, and those holes have been poked in by corporate America, by corporate America and people like the Koch brothers. Yes, and the good news here is that we had a relatively incompetent Republican try to play fascist from the White House, and there's a good chance that he's going to lose as a consequence of that. The thing that scares the hell out of me is that we get a relatively competent Republican like Tom Cotton, you know, a genuine, in my opinion, a genuine fascist into office, and then the game is genuinely and truly over. But we're damn close to it right now, and, you know, I can't disagree with anything you said, Michelle. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Joan in Rochester, Minnesota. Joan, what's on your mind? Well, what was on my mind was what in our country allowed these companies to leave us with so much deadly waste that we had to find places to put it? And I have a solution. The, The companies that make the waste should be responsible for 
probably having extra land where their plants are and just burying it there so it doesn't interfere with other people's lives. And I remember watching a show years ago, and I don't, you can tell me if this is a fact or just conspiracy theory, but that we were making some dirty bombs that we were dropping overseas to get rid of some of our waste material. And I don't know if that's fact or fiction, but nonetheless, we shouldn't be producing something that's so deadly to everybody, even the guys that are making it. So I think they ought to find some other competent way to heat or cool or whatever they're using that atomic energy for. But I think it's a travesty that they're doing this. Yeah, I'm with you, Joan. And what you're thinking of is depleted uranium. Uranium is slightly heavier than lead. And so it will penetrate more steel than a lead bullet will. A uranium bullet will have more mass. And so it will penetrate more armor plating. And then as an added bonus, as it were, uranium is flammable. And so if it gets hot enough, and so when it penetrates that metal, very often it will burst into flames from the friction and burn like uh, almost like magnesium. And so when you shoot a tank with it, it'll penetrate the tank and then it'll kill everybody inside by bursting on fire. So the U.S. Army figured this out and they started making these depleted uranium munitions and they were using recycled nuclear waste to extract that so-called depleted uranium for those. And that depleted uranium is causing kidney disease, birth defects, the levels of malformations and birth defects across Iraq are absolutely massive because we just rain tons and uh, hundreds, dozens of tons anyway, maybe hundreds of tons of depleted uranium down on that country. It was one of the ways, you're right, it's one of the ways that we got rid of some of our nuclear waste. It's insane, but that's what we've been doing. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It, we, you know, if we're going to save this country, if we're going to save our republic, you have to make sure that you're registered to vote. Go to IWillVote.com and check your voter registration. And check it every week because Republicans are purging voting rolls as we speak. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 